Hello, it's Victoria, Girlboss's senior writer. Now, before we get into this episode of Girlboss Radio, trust me, it's a good one. I wanted to tell you a little bit about Vivaya, a super comfortable and environmentally friendly shoe brand that I've been obsessed with lately. My personal faves are the Margot Flats because of the unique square toe and V-cut shape and the Aria Flats, which are perfect for taking from the boardroom to the bar. Ready to say goodbye to blisters and unsupportive soles forever? I know I am. Get 15% off with the code GIRLBOSS15 at vivaya.com slash girlboss. That's V-I-V-A-I-A dot com slash girlboss. Or hit the link in the description. Welcome back to Girlboss Radio. I'm your host, Avery. I'm the founder of Bloom, a workplace design consultancy and a firm believer that work should work for all of us. This is the last episode of this season and trust me, it is a spicy one. Today, I'm joined by my friend, Ireland Baldwin. Yes, the Ireland. She's a business owner, an expecting mother, a screenwriter, and an animal lover. And she just so happens to be Kim Basinger and Alec Baldwin's daughter, as well as Haley Bieber's cousin. Ireland and I met through Instagram in 2020 and have been friends ever since. We chatted about parenthood, why she moved to rural Oregon, and what we're getting wrong and right about the nepotism baby conversation. Let's get into it. Ireland, welcome to Girl Boss Radio. Thank you so much for joining us today. How's everything going on your end? Everything is going quite well, you know, just making some major life changes and adjustments lately, but you know, things are great. What are you most excited about when it comes to becoming a parent? What I'm most excited about really is more centered around a lot of things that I really wanted in terms of stability as a child myself that I didn't have. What's kind of exciting is I get to raise this little human and do things completely differently than what I was taught was the norm. It's cool that I get to unconditionally love this person and do my best to make her as equipped for this world and as badass as possible. Do you have any like baby names in mind? We're naming her Holland. I'm Ireland, so another country name because we wanted to keep that consistent. And then I love the actress Holland Taylor. I've always loved that name since I was young. I just thought that that was such a classy, beautiful name. So we're we're going with Holland. Amazing. Very cool. Very cool. So I'm always really excited when I get to have friends on the podcast. A lot of the people that I've spoken to this past season have been people that I've met by way of the show that I didn't have a relationship with prior. But you and I became friends back in like 2020. Of course, you and I come from two very different worlds. But I feel like our friendship was like probably one of the cooler things that came out of 2020 for me. How did we become friends? If I'm being as honest as I can be, I think I was just really stuck in a place of not really understanding all of this new information and kind of in the midst of everything that was happening with Black Lives Matter specifically. I was so inspired by your words and your activism. I felt very guilty. I was confused about a lot of things that these are things you're not learning in school. These are things that you're not faced with every single day. And especially being white and coming from a white family, 
you know, you don't talk about these things at the dinner table all the time. So I just feel like you were that person for me, which I was very grateful for that you took the time. Well, thank you. And I was grateful for you to reach out, right? Because I think that there was a few people that reached out for clarity on some of the things that I was sharing. It was like those conversations that helped me to better craft the way that I was sharing some of the messaging. I think you'd have to be living under a rock to not know what happened during 2020. But after George Floyd's murder, it seemed as though there was like this like pseudo white awakening, if you will. And you were one of those people, it seemed like you were really feeling called to like do things differently, to ask more questions, to better understand the experiences of people that have a different identity than you do. It was cool because we initially just started chatting. It was like voice notes and then DMs, a kind of like an interesting friendship came from that. You didn't have to do that, you know, but it, it was hard to find a place where you could ask the appropriate questions and take the time to really understand it better rather than like reading what 15 million other people posted about. So while we were like DMing and voice memoing and going back and forth, you at the time were living in LA and then you moved. Why did you decide to leave LA? It's a really simple answer. And I've probably given different variations on this answer to sound better. But I moved here for a boy. I moved here for my ex-boyfriend. He was from here. And it was one of the things that you do to try to make somebody happy and stay with you. (laughs) You were modeling at the time and doing some acting kind of here and there through your career. Did you continue doing that work when you moved to Portland? Modeling came to a halt when COVID happened for everybody. All those industries, for the most part, shut down. And modeling was something that since I started doing it, it was really something that I did because it paid really well. And I never loved it. I never enjoyed it. I had incredible experiences with incredible people. And I've been so grateful to be able to travel and see places that I don't think I ever would if I didn't book a job there. But it's just a really tough industry, especially for someone who came from a lot of eating disorders and body issues and things already prior to even getting into modeling. I can never honestly say I acted, even though I embarrassingly have been into, I told you, a Lifetime movie. Acting was something that I'm passionate about from a distance, but it's something that everyone told me for so long. Well, you have to, you know, you have to, you have to give it a shot. You have, It's in you. It's this. I'm fucking awful. <laughs> I'm not good. I am not a good actress. You can ask any casting director that I... <sighs> bless them for my auditions that they had to sit through. And they're like, you're whose daughter again? I went to film school. I tried my hand at a few different, was taking different classes. And I built a really close relationship with one of my professors. And she helped me realize that I wanted to be a writer. And I've always written. I've always, that's always been my subject. And I just never really got the education around screenwriting and kind of how that process works. And I never really thought I was ever going to be capable of doing anything other than modeling and acting. Like I thought I was just kind of pushed into that box. And unless I went back to school, I was fucked. A lot of people feel that. A lot of people feel that, right? Yeah. But yeah, I fell into screenwriting kind of on my own. I started really teaching myself how the process 
worked. And I started crafting these ideas and stories and formatting them and learning how to do that. That's all I want to do, you know, is create these worlds and stories. You talked earlier about feeling some pressure to get into acting or modeling. And obviously, this is probably heavily related to the fact that your parents crafted really successful careers in those areas. Where do you get that pressure from? Is it just as you're growing up? Was it coming from your parents? Was it coming from the community of people around you? I don't think I was ever encouraged to do anything else, if I'm being honest. If I'm being brutally honest, I was, okay, that's how much this person's making at 16, 17 years old as a model. Why wouldn't I do that? You know, why wouldn't I want that right now? Do you feel like you're a Nepo baby? I mean, I feel like that word is just so oversaid at this point. And I'm not saying that in like a criticism, like it's just it, it means what it means. And yes, of course I am. I think this conversation around Nepo babies is really interesting. And I was really hoping to talk to you about it because, of course, I don't know a lot of people that benefit from nepotism in the world of Hollywood, which is dominating this conversation at the moment. But I've been aware of like nepotism through the lens of traditional workplaces for a long time. In fact, I got my start in like recruiting in HR, although I don't make multi-million dollars a year <laughs> for like a modeling contract or an acting gig. I got access to a reception job because my mom was the VP at the time at this company. So I benefited from nepotism. But I'm curious, what do you think people are getting wrong around the Nepo baby conversation? It's so obvious to me that that's why you have the opportunities that you do, that it's not really that hard to just say that. It's more frustrating to me when I read or see people's responses. They're very defensive about how they got to where they are. It's really not something, in my opinion, to be embarrassed of. You should never be ashamed of how you got to where you are unless you hurt somebody or you did something totally wrong. Where it's frustrating and gets confusing for me is like when people just don't accept that's their reality. And then what I think people on the other end get wrong about it is, would you rather watch all of these children of all these famous people party every single day? Would you rather them do drugs and wind up in rehab every single day and get DUIs and be in Ibiza going nuts on some DJ table? They're working, right? They're trying to do something. A lot of them, a lot of people whose parents are in this business don't even choose to be in this business. They do other things. I know plenty of people who are children of famous people that do something totally different. But I think I can only speak for myself. And I think anyone could relate to this is when you're younger, you grow up in this way with this money and this access and you travel a certain way, you live a certain way, you eat a certain way, you live in certain houses, you're used to that. And I think people are afraid sometimes of any of that going away if they choose to do something differently. But then there's people who are children of famous people, kids of famous people who are incredibly talented. And there's no denying that they are. And that also frustrates me to no end because you see them acting, you see them writing, producing, directing as a musician, as whatever. And you can't deny the talent that they have. And the people who do, who are like, they're only like that because, yeah, sure, they probably maybe had access to some of the best acting coaches. Maybe they had their parent coaching them and helping them along the way. And, and of course, it was easier for them. Of course, it was. And of course, there are people out there who are 200 times better than them, who are never going to get a shot. But you can't deny talent. Modeling is one category of its, of its own that I will say is not easy. 
when you're in it. But it is easy if you're someone in my position to get there. Whereas I feel like you can't just be totally fucking bad on screen. You know what I mean? You have to work a bit to be in a big film with a big director and a big cast. You have to carry your weight a bit, you know? So I think like, how could you not grow up your entire life on a movie set and see your parents do what they do and see them on stage and go, I want to do that. How could you not stand in the front row and go, whoa, like, look at all these people cheer for them, you know? It's cool if you just accept, like, hey, man, I know how easy it was for me to get here. I know who my dad is. I know who my mom is. Like, yes, but I love it. I love doing this. It's when you deny it that it's like, you look like such a jackass, you know? Just accept it. And it's okay, you know? I totally, I think that one thing that I wanted to kind of reflect back on that you said is around that people can be talented, but also simultaneously benefit from nepotism. And I think that this is a really great example of like multiple things can be true at the exact same time. And the truths are this person is talented. And yes, this person did benefit from nepotism. As a writer, yes, I can get my script in so-and-so's inbox faster than anybody else, right? Or I could ask my parents for this contact, but a matter of them taking on my script or not, that's what people don't realize is I still get no's all the time because you still have to be good. (laughs) You still have to have a little bit of talent, you know, whereas modeling, it's like, I'm just being brutally honest, but (laughs) that's far more questionable because it's like, you can really, you could really be anybody as long as you're somebody And if you are in that fashion industry, it's like they'll take you on most of the time. You know what I mean? They'll give you a platform and give you a chance. And you could say, you know, you're Oscar the Grouch's daughter and they'll take you if you look like a female Oscar the Grouch. Like, I'm sorry, but it's true. They'll take anybody for any reason just because you have a name. And I think that sometimes what's also missing a part of this conversation is like, the world's emphasis on not only status, but name and clout and followers. And I think that a lot of people that are being kind of called out for being an Epo baby that aren't really fully owning that are just like refusing to acknowledge the fact that a lot comes along just with their name alone. I'm not saying that being a model does not involve any skill at all. I've never modeled and probably would be terrible at it. But sometimes it doesn't. What I'm saying is it's a very tough industry to break into. I think all women in some way, in their own way, in every way, I think women are beautiful, but it must be very frustrating to be someone who immigrated here and whose entire life is dependent on a modeling contract, who's barely making ends meet, staying in a model apartment, barely making enough to just get by, puts everything on the line to do this because that's all they know and that's their shot at getting out of wherever they live or paying for their family or do whatever it is, which I've met so many different models from so many different situations. And then you watch so-and-so's kid who didn't have to do anything, just kind of showed up somewhere and was like, hey, and booked their dream contract. Because I was one of those people that showed up and was like, hey, you know, I didn't have to like go through the process that these girls, you know, they ripped themselves apart and have gone through hell and high water to like try to even get noticed in that industry. And I'm like meeting every top designer and person and being flown around and this and that. It's very unfair. It's like very fucking unfair. And that business is so particular to me 
compared to the others. Because to me, acting, yes, there's plenty of famous people's kids who act, who aren't great, who do little roles and things here and there. Sure. I think like the bigger performances, they're not going to put so-and-so in just because you're someone's daughter if you're a shit actor. You know what I mean? But modeling, and again, this is not a criticism on how beautiful or not beautiful someone is, but they can kind of make do with anybody, even if they're not ideally what like that particular casting director was looking for in terms of looks, they'll still come back and be like, well, that's so-and-so, you know, we, we're using her, obviously. And like what you said, that's just kind of the way it is. And I think that that's the angle that really frustrates people is just, and modeling is just such a particular industry where that is just so unfair. New year, new shoes. That's how the saying goes, right? I think we should all make a pact to say goodbye to blisters and unsupportive soles this year and to only invest in footwear that is stylish, comfortable, and sustainable. That's why I can't stop talking about Vivaya. Not only is their footwear stylish enough for a spot on your Instagram feed, but each pair is made from earth-conscious materials like recycled water bottles, vegan leather, and wool. Get 15% off with the code GIRLBOSS15 at vivaya.com slash girlboss. That's V-I-V-A-I-A dot com slash girlboss. Thank me later. Hello, it's Victoria, senior writer at Girlboss. And Liz, editorial director at Girlboss. Victoria and I co-produced this season, and it was the first time either of us have ever worked on a podcast. We wanted to pop in to say thank you to our incredible listeners. As first-time podcast producers, we had no idea what we were getting ourselves into. Like, I had no idea what a mid-roll ad was this time last year. We also want to thank our guests for giving their valuable time, our patient and talented sound engineer, Diego, and of course, Avery, our host. Avery's journalistic instincts, natural curiosity, and invaluable point of view made the podcast what it is. Although the season is coming to an end, we've learned so much, and we're going to make the next season even better. We're coming back in March, just in time for International Women's Day. We'll see you then. Don't miss us too much. And if you have any feedback in the meantime, or a guest you think we should bring on, or anything else at all to say, you can leave a review on this episode or even email us at podcast at girlboss.com. We will read it. Okay, let's get back into the episode. I think that the question is, are these casting directors or the people that are controlling who's getting these opportunities or not, are they doing their due diligence to explore many options other than so-and-so's daughter or so-and-so's son? That's the question. I'm not a modeling agent and I'm not a casting director, but I've got to know a few in my day and age and I can speak on this and say that, you know, any other model that is a model that has no last name and no nothing, you got to be the height. You got to be the weight. You get told you got to fix your skin. You got to do this. You got to do that. You're not going to get the job if you're not X, Y, and Z. You know, whereas like someone in my position, look at all the tattoos I have. Tattoos weren't really cool when I started getting them, when I started modeling. Obviously, everybody now modeling is tattooed and pierced. And that's way more accepted now. But someone with all these tattoos, I did like Ralph fucking Lauren with these tattoos. I did things that I look back on and I met girls, no girls and friends with girls who model who are absolutely drop dead gorgeous. And they are a Ralph Lauren model in my mind way before I'm ever an, an anything model, you know, and it's so frustrating when 
people, again, are very defensive of this because those people have so many obstacles against them. And let alone, if we're going to even get into the other bit of it that you were just saying, I want to say one last thing, which is this model, Canadian model, Koga Rosha. I actually met her a few times and she's one of the sweetest people. She said something that I thought was really important. And I just want to reiterate kind of what she said, which was everyone has a degree of nepotism going on for them, especially when you're white. She's speaking to modeling specifically. You have such a privilege anyway, just being white. Like you're, you have more of a foot in the door. If you're a nepotism baby, you're up here. If you're white and not a nepotism baby, you're still here. And then everyone else trickles along down below you, you know? So it's like, Rather than focusing so hard on why someone got to where they are, why don't you do your best to pull someone back up the ladder and get them seen, get them noticed, repost their work. I want them to be booking their dream campaigns and doing these things. And it's hard, obviously, like I have no say in whether that's going to happen or not, but do your best to hype other people up as best as you can, because some form of nepotism is always going to exist prejudice is always going to exist. These things are going to exist, but you're, you can do something to even just change it a bit, even if it's just like a grain of sand. She wrote, let's be real. Privilege is a ladder. It's a ladder that's a thousand steps high. Some are born higher on that ladder than others. That is a fact. And then she went on to say that some start higher on the ladder because they were born in wealthier countries. This is a privilege. Some like myself were boosted higher onto the ladder because We worked with some great photographers or great designers that helped us to get here. But then she goes on to say that because of the racist legacy of the industry, white models start off higher on the ladder than models of color. And then she goes on to kind of say that pulling people up, reaching and pulling people up to join you when you have access to these opportunities is the way to go. This is how you lend your privilege. And this is an act of allyship. So it's interesting because I think that there's a phenomenon in the DI space, which is called ladder pulling, which is when people from historically marginalized communities get to spaces where there's not a lot of us. So we'll like pull the ladder up from underneath us and we'll be like, okay, well, they let one of us in. So like, I'm going to guard my spot because if anyone else like me comes in, they're going to take that spot because there's only room for like one of us. Yeah, it was a TikTok video that she made too, where she was talking about it. And it was, it just really struck a chord with me. I was like, that really makes sense. Like you need, you should do your best to help others get a chance. However, that is. Moving on from the Nepo baby talk. So you move from LA, you're in now the coast of Oregon and you moved there for a boy. How did you end up where you are now? (laughs) Early keeping it pretty simple. That's one other misconception, I think, that's centered around the nepotism conversation that will tie into this is that people assume that because anyone's parents are famous that they pay for their entire life, which I can promise you is not the case. (laughs) And but I will say this, like my parents have been so helpful in my life and have helped me tremendously. And without them, you know, I trust me, I've had times where I'm like, what do I do? Uh, You know, and that's another thing It's don't deny the help that you receive from your parents. There's nothing, there's nothing to be ashamed of. If your parents want to help you, I know I'm going to help my daughter if she needs me. LA was getting way too expensive for me. That was one part of it was where I was living was ridiculously expensive. So I, I moved to Oregon and I moved with my then boyfriend and then we broke up and I was really having a hard time with that breakup because I had been with this person for a long time and 
it was tough. And then I kind of had made the decision, you know what, I'm going to move back to LA because this is way too hard to go through by myself. And so I had made the decision to move back to California. But before doing that, I was like, well, maybe I'll go look in Portland because maybe all I need to do is just move away from the coast back into a city and go have some fun. Like I need to go out and go on dates. How does Ireland Baldwin, like how do you meet people to date? Do you do online dating? Do you oh my just... God, no, I don't. I'm so awkward and weird. And I, <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what the fuck, but no, I was on a dating app. Which one? I was on Raya. But I was on it because I'm so scared of any of that. Like, that is just not me. But I got really drunk one night with one of my friends and she had her friend. And we were on the Oregon coast. We started swiping through people and liking people and stuff. And I was like, holy shit, this is so fun. Like, I haven't ever, I haven't, I've been so caught up in one person for so long that it was just weird and surreal. And anyway, I saw my boyfriend now on there. And I was like, he's cute. And I liked him. I saw him that night come up and we never talked. It never became anything from the app. So I see him on this app. No, like, let's meet up. Nothing. I just, I run into him at a coffee shop a couple weeks later when I'm looking at houses in Portland and I was having no luck finding a house. And I was like, really just distraught and in a weird place. And we, I run into him and I'm like, oh my God, it's the guy. And like, we got coffee, we went on a walk, we walked down the street, we went to this park and sat and talked for six hours. I totally fell in love with him. And I kind of said, like, I want to be with you forever. But then we had been together not even six months. And I had this opportunity that fell in my lap to purchase my then friend from the coasts bakery. And she was like, I really just want to sell it to you because I don't want it to go into the wrong hands and become something because she really was very passionate about dogs as well. And I wanted to open up a pet store out there, but I didn't have the finances to do it. And my boyfriend did. And I said, do you want to open up a business with me? And he's like, what? Okay, fuck it, I guess. So we actually got this place together. It is not a pet store. It is a wine bar, cafe. And we bought the place next door together that is a boutique that we're opening. And if anyone's familiar with the Oregon coast, it is a very limited gear heart where I lived and where the shop is. There's not many options in terms of places to go eat and go drink. And a lot of the surrounding towns are quite popping. So we kind of wanted to spruce up and bring some life to this particular area. And we just set on this adventure together. And then we've been together for like almost two years. And then we both also looked at each other and we're like, hey, I've always wanted a kid. He's like, I've always wanted kids too. And that's something that wasn't something I ever thought I wanted because that wasn't really my arrangement and this and that. But like, I do too. And I'm like, should we, should we do it? And yeah, so that's kind of how that all crazily fell into existence. So talk to us a little bit more about this wine bar and then the shop. What's it called? What are you hoping it grows into? We basically really had our work cut out for us and had no clue what we were getting into. But then we brought on another partner, this guy, Doug Nyblack, who he has a really well-known catering company and he's an incredible chef on the Oregon coast and a dear friend of mine. And we brought him on as a partner and then 
So we all kind of fell onto the idea of opening good times is what it's called, because that's really what we want it to be. It's just a good old time where you could just go and drink wine and enjoy the patio. And the boutique side of it was a chance for me to really just work with brands that I have always supported so deeply. There were so many like kind of ones that were overlooked that have been skincare brands that I've loved forever pet brands, everything. And I just was like, you know, I want to I wanna work with all of these people that I've loved for so long. And I really want to support women-owned businesses and Black-owned businesses. I wanted to bring a bit of something new for people to discover. So before we wrap up, I want to ask you a little bit about how you handle rejection. So you talked a little bit earlier about this new kind of journey that you're on as a <laughs> <Yeah>. screenwriter. <laughs> Conversation around nepotism, baby aside, okay, you obviously have access to contacts and connections that other people do not. Um, but you had shared with me that you still are on the receiving end of a tremendous amount of rejection. What's that been like? And how do you navigate it? I'll say two things. One, I think, especially coming from somebody I do have to say, touching back on nepotism, I think coming from somebody who has my background, you're not used to rejection. You don't really have many people tell you you can't have something or do something. Modeling was such a different path where it was like, sometimes I would get no's, but really not. You know what I mean? I was still getting these absurd opportunities and making a lot of money and all the shit. And then acting, I didn't really like want it so badly, but I never got a yes, but it didn't really like affect me. And that's kind of what triggered something in me where I was like, well, maybe this is not what you want because you don't care. I went to a euphoria audition, whatever. It was so awful. Anything I've ever auditioned for, which I've been fucking awful and everything, but of anything I auditioned for, I'm like, oh, I need this because I loved the show so much. And I was like, this would be so cool just to say I did it, not to get me anywhere, but like fuck yeah, I can play like a druggy high schooler. Are you kidding? Yes. So first of all, I'd be way too tall to be in high school. I'm like not in high school. Like that ship has sailed for me. But I was like, yeah. fuck yeah, my tattoos and I'm edgy. They'll want me. So I not only did green eyeliner, like green makeup, because I was like, the makeup, they're going to be like her, you know? I bombed it. Like it was so embarrassing, so bad. But even when I got the no, I was like, I'm not crying. I'm not devastated. I'm not locking myself up in a room. You know, like a lot of people who want this so badly, you live and fucking breathe it. That's the thing. Like, this is it, you know? And that wasn't my reality. So when I started really falling in love with writing, you have to be very vulnerable to send out these projects, you know, and send them out to people and get sometimes nothing. Most of the time it's silence, but getting not only no's, but getting notes and having people come back and being like, well, I would have done this differently or I would have changed this or this wasn't so strong or whatever. It takes a lot for somebody who's been told yes their whole life to suddenly be in a world where like no one's going to want to work with me. I think the way that I've learned to kind of handle rejection really comes from my mentors that I'm most inspired by, including this professor that I had including a writer that I work with quite a bit, like they didn't even find success. They didn't even get their first yes until they were 39, 42 years old, 50 years old. They were like, when it comes, it's going to be the right time. Everything's going to align. And the other thing for me is I don't put all my eggs in one basket. 
I'm sending out multiple projects to multiple people and getting many no's. <laughs> I've gotten a few yeses on some projects that I'm currently developing and working on now. But when you get that yes, it's such a high. You've never been more proud of yourself for waiting and working towards something. And you know what? That's the other thing is my project could be made and it could go nowhere or it could lose funding. But at least having someone interested or tell you that was great or, you know, that really, you know, I want more of that or I want to, you know, work with you or whatever. It's the little victories that you should celebrate, even if it wasn't a full on yes. And the studio is taking this and doing this with you and giving you all this funding and whatever. It's like just a victory for me to even have had a response. I hold on to the little victories to get me to where I want to be. And that's how I handle the rejection. <laughs> I love what you said about you never really have all your eggs in one basket. And I think that when you're wanting to build that rejection muscle, by having opportunities for rejection be a little bit more plentiful and maybe you have a higher volume of it, it does make it a little easier to navigate. And I feel like when you apply for like multiple jobs, even if you get a no from like that dream opportunity, it stings a little less than when you just apply for one, right? <laughs> it doesn't feel like the end of the world. <laughs> Sometimes the unassuming opportunity is the one that's going to take you somewhere you never would have given a chance otherwise, and it becomes the best decision you ever made. Just be fearless and like do the thing that you love, because at the end of the day, you'll be so much happier. Than, and that's hard to also say to people, because of course, we need to support ourselves. People are all in different circumstances and have bills and a lot of disadvantages. And I know that it's hard to hear someone say, no, just go for your dreams, you know, but you are right in a sense that if you just kind of put yourself out there, and don't hold yourself back and just throw the bat signal out there for multiple opportunities, something may come back your way that you're like, Ugh, I don't want to do that. Then you do it and you meet the greatest people. If you have other things kind of spread out a bit and you believe in yourself and believe in your capabilities to do other things, you have no idea what could happen for you. You have no idea unless you try. And maybe yeah. this writing thing's not going to work out for me and I'm going to be a vet still. We'll see. Maybe I'll go to med school in my or vet school in my 30s. We'll see. With all that said, we got a really, really interesting Ask Girl Boss question from a community member. And they asked the specific question I thought would be really good for you and is, what if my parents are my biggest hindrance to achieve my dreams? I feel like you might have a lot of experience with this in some ways. <laughs> if you waste all of your energy fighting and advocating for yourself and saying, well, I'm not like them, I'm not like them, I'm not like them, I'm not like them, just do what it is that you want to do and find your own path and do your own thing. And the right people will respond to that. I don't believe that we're all genetically predisposed to be exactly like our parents in any way, because I couldn't be more different than my parents. So I think you just got to just do your thing. Thank you for that. So at the end of every single interview, I ask a few rapid fire questions. What time do you typically wake up in the morning? Seven o'clock, 6.30 every day. Okay. And then how many unread emails do you think you have in your inbox at the moment? Oh my God. Especially since I was in my first trimester and I ignored everyone because I was vomiting all day. 3,532. It's better really? than me. Oh yeah. It's better than me. <laughs> Shit, girl. <laughs> 
And then what is your go-to snack when you're working? Like when you're writing, what are you, what are you reaching for? Not pregnant. A lot of things, but pregnant now that I hate everything. All I eat now is citrus, like grapefruits, blood oranges, oranges is like the only thing that doesn't make me want to totally just die right now. (laughs) Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And then final question of all of the movies your dad was in, what is your favorite? I actually get in a lot of trouble for this question because there's a lot of my dad's movies that I haven't seen. I'm always going to go to the same one. Probably Beetlejuice for me because that was just such an iconic movie. I always was very proud that my dad was in that movie. I just thought that was so cool. Have you seen It's Complicated? I actually watched that for the first time two years ago on Christmas. That movie is great too, but I'm like the biggest Meryl Streep fan like ever. So she could do anything. She could spit on me and I love her so much. Well, I think that ending off on the Meryl Streep note is probably the best note to end off on. Thank you so much for taking this time to chat with me today and for all your vulnerability. I so appreciate it. And before we wrap up, is there anything you want to leave girl boss folks with? I will leave that. I hope that anything I said makes sense because this pregnancy brain thing is not bullshit. And I sleep one hour a night and I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. So I'm sorry if you don't understand what I'm saying because I don't either. So take care. (laughs) Thank you for tuning in. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) And that's a wrap on this season of Girlboss Radio. Ireland is one of the most candid, raw, and honest people I know. We come from two completely different worlds, but still have so much in common. We'll be on a hiatus for the next few weeks, but don't fret, we'll be back very soon. Leave a comment to let us know what you loved about this season and what you think we can do better. And we can't wait to share all of the big things we have in store for you next season. So get excited. This podcast is produced by Liz Goober and Victoria Christie and edited by Diego Domine. Until next time, keep blooming. Okay, I know I've talked your ear off about these sustainable shoes, but hear me out. Vivaya is changing the footwear game for good because you no longer have to choose between style and sustainability. I seriously cannot live without the heeled padding, four-way stretch, and supportive soles. Whether you're working at the office or running errands or having a girl's night out, you're bound to find a pair or three that speaks to you. Get 15% off with the code GIRLBOSS15 at vivaya.com slash girlboss. That's V-I-V-A-I-A dot com slash girlboss. See you soon.